This talk is brought to you by the Thomistic Institute. For more talks like this, visit us at ThomisticInstitute.org. So I'm going to be talking about Augustine's view of the origin and evolution of the cosmos as we have it from this book called The Literal Meaning of Genesis. So he wrote three works trying to interpret the book of Genesis. And this is the longest of them. He began it shortly after he finished the Confessions. And um, it's important because it's what, what he calls a literal interpretation as opposed to an allegorical one. Okay, so we'll talk in a minute about what that means. Augustine's hermeneutical theory, the way that he approaches the Bible, is first of all to think that the Bible's primary author is God and that their human author is secondary. And that this has three implications for how we understand the Bible. First of all, the Bible cannot contradict what we know about the world from science because God created the world that we know through science. Secondly, the various books of the Bible can be used to interpret one another since they all have God as the primary author. So, um, for example, when Augustine's interpreting Genesis 1, he has no problem alluding to John, the Gospel of John, or the book of Revelation, because he thinks they all form one book, even though they were actually, in terms of the human author, they were um, written at different times. And then thirdly, the Bible contains no mistakes, according to Augustine, because God is the source of truth. Okay? This doesn't mean that everything in the Bible is a dogma or a doctrine, it's not necessarily about morality or faith. Some of it might be circumstantial advice, okay? but he thinks that it's appropriate circumstantial advice for whatever historical moment it's in, if it is of that type of information. Second important point is that the style of a biblical text tells us the kind of meaning that it has, he thinks. So at the beginning of this literal interpretation of Genesis, he lays out the different senses of scripture historical, allegorical, moral, or eschatological. So you look at the genre or the literary style of the text, and that tells you whether it's a historical document or whether it's, it's allegorical. Right? So the Song of Songs, for example, is very poetic. If you pick it up and read it, it's very evident that you're reading poetry. So this tells you that it's a book of metaphor and allegory. If you read the Book of Kings, it's like reading the newspaper. Um, so you know that you're dealing with a document that's attempting to give you historical information, historical reports. So Genesis chapter 1 has a recording style, okay, because it says God did this, then he did the other, then he did the other. When you read it, it's more like reading the Book of Kings than it is like reading the Song of Songs. So he um, interprets it historically, and this is what he means by the word literal. Okay? So when he says the literal meaning of Genesis, it doesn't mean literal the way that we usually use that word. It means historical. Okay? It means that the, this book of the Bible, this chapter of the Bible, is trying to tell us events that actually occurred. So what we're going to see that's very surprising is by using this hermeneutical theory and using the 4th century physics and metaphysics that he knew, he will arrive at a theory of the origin of the cosmos that's generally compatible with contemporary cosmology and some evolutionary theory. And I can honestly tell you that of all the interpretations of Genesis in the Jewish and Christian exegetical traditions, Augustine's is the one that most closely anticipates the Big Bang theory and evolutionary theory. It's really very remarkable. So 
getting into the text, um, in Genesis chapter 1, we have, first of all, the assertion that God said things, right? So it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was a formless mass, blah, blah, blah. God said, let there be light, and there was light, right? And this is the beginning of the description of God creating things. So immediately, this is problematic because the question is, how could, it, how could God be saying anything? What could this possibly mean? He doesn't have a material body, and there's nothing else that's created when he first says something. So it can't be that he's making a sound, because making a sound is move, movement of the air. Right? So even Augustine knew that, right? that um, a sound is moving the air. So, but there's no air, because nothing is created yet. So what does it mean? So Augustine says, OK, it must be that God is speaking inside of himself, inside the Trinity. So when it says, God said, this is reference to the Father generating the Son, who is the Word of God. God said, Father, Son. And as I said, um, he backs this up with the Gospel of John. This is the beginning of John. We have, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. All things were made through him, and without him was made nothing that was made. And this is correlative with the beginning of Genesis. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth by saying things. In other words, through the word. So the six days, if we just do a little review of Genesis 1, um, the six days are day one is light, second day atmosphere or sky, which a lot of times um, in the Bible you'll see the word firmament, but that refers to the sky what we call the sky. Third day, bodies of water and land, plants and trees, including fruit trees. The fourth day, the sun, the moon, and additional stars, and heavenly bodies, which is planets. The fifth day, all sea animals and birds. And the sixth day, all ground animals and human beings. Now, the most interesting portion of his, this long commentary is the problem that he raises in book four, where he says very clearly, Genesis speaks of light, morning, and evening prior to the creation of the sun. And it speaks of day being composed of a morning and an evening prior to the creation of the sun, because the creation of the sun is on day four. So how on earth could we have morning, evening, and day before the creation of the sun, which is what we mean by day, typically, right? The rising and the setting of the sun. So he says, it is not clear by what circular motion or going forth and returning light could have produced the succession of day and nights before the making of the sky in which the heavenly bodies were made on day four. This question then ought not to be dropped without some statement of my opinion. So he tries to solve this problem and he first considers very briefly the possibility that the waxing and the waning of the light, so the morning and the evening, might be emission and expansion of material light. Okay, so this is maybe God created just some light, like we would call them protons, right? Maybe God created a bunch of protons, and then they were just like expanding and contracting, expanding, contracting. This is what the day one, day two, day three, day four are before the sun. But he rejects this possibility on two grounds. So first of all, he says this would attribute to God a useless activity. He says, I cannot see any reason why it should be done like that. There were no animals yet, after all, for whom this beneficial alternation could be arranged. In other words, why would God just make a bunch of light and then have it be expanding and contracting when there's nothing else that exists? It has no purpose in doing that. 
he also talks about the fact that the earth doesn't exist yet at this point, so there's no way, there's no place for the light to kind of go to, to be hidden, so that it can be night. Um, so there's really no way to explain how this would really make any sense, right? Okay, so he looks for another possible meaning of the word light besides physical light. And he says, well, look, sometimes we say that someone is enlightened or they've seen the light or some truth has dawned on them. And when we speak that way, we're using the word light to mean understanding. And he said, this must be what the Genesis text is talking about when it says God created light. It means that God created intellectual light. In other words, God created minds that were understanding something. So this is, we would say this is a metaphorical sense of light. Maybe it's a secondary meaning of light. But remember that literal for him means historical. So it can use a secondary meaning of the word like light and still be historical or literal as he calls it. Okay, so that was before the creation of human beings, which doesn't happen until day six. Okay, we're still on day one, God creating light. Okay, so these created intellects, this intellectual understanding that's been created cannot be human understanding, human minds. So it must be creatures who are intellects, but not humans, and therefore we must be referring to angels, or the text must be referring to angels, which are by definition created intelligences without bodies. So creation of light, day one, is a creation of angels by God. As I already mentioned, um, Augustine thinks that this still qualifies as a literal meaning, okay? because it, he says what the text is about is the historical event of God making the angels, and it calls that the creation of light. Um, just a brief note here about angels and angelology. It's kind of interesting to know that from Augustine's perspective, this is not a specifically Christian theology that he's using, because there are other ancient or late ancient philosophers who think that angels exist. So middle Platonists, who were um, Platonists living between the first century BC up to the third century CE, they all think that there are these daimones, which we would translate typically as demons, but the meaning is just spirit, okay? Spirits without bodies that are intellectual. And they all thought that we can know this using our reason because there's a metaphysical hierarchy and if these beings don't exist, there will be a gap between us and the gods or God and nature is set up in a scale without any gaps. Okay. So we probably don't need to go through the whole argument that I have written on this slide, but it's just worth noting because it's kind of interesting. It's interesting because it shows how Augustine thinks that reason is so compatible with faith, right? That he basically wants to use things that are accepted by philosophers generally, even if they're not Christians, in order to interpret the Bible, um, because he just sees no contradiction or tension at all between what intelligent intellectuals can figure out using their, their mind, even though they're not Christian, and the Bible. Okay, so then we have the question, what do morning, evening, and day mean? Okay, if light means created understanding in the minds of the angels, what are morning and evening and day? Morning and evening, when we're talking about physical light, they refer to periods when there's more or less light, right? There's more light in the morning, there's less light in the evening. So if light refers to the understanding of the angels, then morning must refer to a superior kind of understanding, a more intense light, 
while evening must refer to an inferior kind of understanding, less brilliant light. So morning knowledge is the angels contemplating the divine ideas in the mind or the word of God, the archetypal patterns of creatures. And then evening knowledge is the angel's knowledge of creatures already created and existing in their own right apart from God. And day refers to a category of creature that the angels know in both of these modes, on both of these levels. They know it in its divine idea and they know the actual corresponding creatures. So let's look at an example. Let's talk about a leopard. You can know a leopard in the sense that you know the transcendent form or the pattern of leopardness which subsists in God's mind, the mental word of God. Or you can know a leopard in the sense that you are cognizing the reality of an individual particular material leopard in the zoo if you go to the zoo. Okay? So knowing the pattern that's in God's mind for what constitutes a leopard, this is the pattern according to which he makes all the lepers. This is a superior type of knowledge. Because if you understand the pattern, you can recognize any individual particular leopard as a leopard, right? So it's a better thing to know the pattern than to know the copy. So knowing the um, material leopard is inferior then, right? because it has limitations, right? Because if, if you're just looking at this one leopard, this one leopard is limited to being the exact size that it is, the exact color coat that it has, the exact place that it is in space and time, the exact age that it is, the exact health or diseasedness that it has, right? So it's, it's conditioned by particularity, and this means that your knowledge of what leopardness is is, is um, more limited than if you just know the pattern. Okay, so this is morning knowledge and evening knowledge, okay? And the angels have both types, and that's what morning and evening mean in the text. And together, both of those types of knowledge of the same thing constitute a day. So, don't believe me, don't take my word for it. Believe Augustine, these are his words. There is a vast difference between knowledge of a thing in the word of God and knowledge of the same thing in itself. The first kind of knowledge can be considered as belonging to the day, dawning of the day, the morning, the second kind to evening. The holy angels without any doubt know all of creation of which they are the creatures first made. And they have this knowledge first in the word of God himself in whom the eternal patterns of all things made in time existing in him. And then they have this knowledge in creation itself as they look down upon it. But immediately morning comes, and this happens on all six days, because the knowledge angels have does not remain fixed in a creature without their immediately referring it to the praise and love of him in whom they know not the facts but the pattern of its creation. So we've got this model where the angels look at the mind of God, they see the pattern of the land animals, and then they look down at the earth and they see the actual land animals that God makes. And then they say, wow, those creatures are amazing. And they look back to God to praise God. And then they see the next set of patterns, which is the next day. Okay, so the days refer to these different categories of creatures that they're seeing on both levels. And they're going back and forth like this. But that leads to another problem which is this, is it plausible that the angels have morning and evening knowledge in a temporal series? And Augustine thinks it's not plausible, okay? Because angels' intellects are so powerful that they don't need a series in order to know the various divine ideas or patterns in the word. They can gaze on the entirety of the word of God, the mind of God, 
and know all the divine ideas at once. So all the mornings are really one act of morning knowledge. But in Genesis chapter 1, all the mornings are linked to an evening. So if all the mornings are one act of morning knowledge, then all the evenings are one act of evening knowledge. All right, so now the days are being shrunk into one instant is essentially what's happening, right? Because he's saying that the day does not um, tell us about different stages in their knowledge. He's saying they have all the knowledge at once, but it's just different categories of creatures in the might of God that they're knowing all at one time. The reason he's saying this is because human cognition is slower. We learn things in a series and we think things in a series because we have a material brain. So if you have a material processor, it's slower. But if you're just purely an immaterial mind, you don't need this clunky um, process of like thinking one thing and thinking the next thing and then thinking the next thing. So they just, they just get it all at once. It's kind of like if you think of Einstein compared to the rest of us peons, right? So <laughs> Einstein understands equals MC squared and just sees it in a flash. He knows everything that is involved in it. But for us, we have to laboriously do a lot of formulas and examples. So the angels are like that, super smart. Okay, so again, don't trust me, trust Augustine. Someone may perhaps disagree with me in my foregoing interpretation of the back and forth and the back and the forth that he was doing and say that the angels in heaven do not gaze at one object and then at another, first at the forms of creatures existing immutably in the immutable truth of the word of God, and then at creatures in their own proper existence, and then after that refer this knowledge of creatures in themselves to the praise of the creator. The angelic mind, it may be objected, is able with effortless ease to behold all this in a single glance. And then he says, the angels, not angles, <laughs> The angels may be able to do this all at once. They may actually do this all at once. As a matter of fact, they are able and they actually do. At one and the same time, therefore, they have day and evening and morning. Now, there's another problem that arises as a result of this assertion, which is that unless the object known exists, it cannot be known. So if morning and evening are simultaneous, then the objects of evening knowledge must exist simultaneously with those of morning knowledge. So the objects of morning knowledge are the ideas in the mind of God. That's no problem. They always exist outside of time in God's mind. But the objects of evening knowledge are the actual leopard and the actual seas and the actual trees on the earth. Okay. Now he's telescoped all the acts of knowledge into one instant. This means all the created things are going to have to exist in that one instant. Okay, so he then is forced to say that God created the angels and everything else in one instant, simultaneously. And he actually says in the Latin, um, God created everything at once in one blow or strike, like one punch of establishing the universe in ictu condendi. So ictus is a word that means like if you hit somebody, you strike somebody. What he's saying is God punched the whole universe into existence in one instant, the angels and all the other creatures, and time began at that moment. So obviously this is why I said at the outset that this interpretation is very evocative of the Big Bang Theory, what we think of, what we talk about today when we think of the origin of the universe, right? That God said just, everything just started all at once and things took off from there. Further issue, which came first, the chicken or the egg? 
So God created everything in this one instant, but what exactly did he create? What state were they in? And um, I'll just read his quotation, which is the final bullet point here. Perhaps we not, ought not to think of these creatures at the moment they were produced as subject to the processes of nature which we now observe in them. Perhaps were eggs only created when, the, when on the fifth day, according to the scriptural narrative, the waters brought forth every winged bird according to its kind? If this can be maintained on the basis that in the liquid of the egg there already exists all that grows and develops into the bird, because there were already present the structural patterns of the bird, why could not the same thing have been said before the appearance of eggs when the wet element seed patterns were produced? So, in philosophical terms, he's moving from God creating an actual bird to God creating an egg, which we would say has active potentiality, if you know Aristotelian metaphysics. And then he's backing it up even further and saying, well, passive potentiality would do just as well. Okay, so why not say that God just created the elements in the first moment, and that counted as God creating all the creatures that are made out of the elements? And this is the view that he settles on. God created the elements, and the creatures that we see now came about over the course of time. The processes we now see in creatures, measured by the lapse of time as each one fulfills its proper function, comes to creatures from those seed-like structures. Time brings about the development of these creatures according to those structures which were received instantaneously at creation. At the moment of creation, God made the things that would come to be later. He made them potentially. This is interesting to see the word potentially in Augustine because a lot of times people have the idea that Augustine is just a Platonist and Aquinas is an Aristotelian, but this notion of potentiality versus actuality is an Aristotelian distinction, and it's just kind of floating around in late antiquity, and Augustine knew it. So he's saying that God created the elements in that one instant, the same time he created the angels. Time began at that point as well. And he's calling these like seed structures. He's saying the elements have these basic structures in them that are capable of combination and recombination so that things can develop out of them analogously to the way that adults come out of a seed. So the whole universe is like uh, one big thing that came out of a seed. All right, he thinks that the, the later developments of things out of these initial elements with their basic structures were directed by God's providence. Okay, so he says this actually in the City of God, a different book. It's a little more clear there, but it's kind of important to note this because as I said at the outset, this interpretation is compatible with some evolutionary theory. It's obviously not compatible with like total um, randomness, right? The, the claim that evolution is just purely the result of random chance random mutations, he thinks that anytime you have um, progress from a lower level of organization in a material substances to a higher level of organization, you need some kind of designer. You need some kind of intelligent guiding and arrangement of the material to take on this higher level of organization. Okay, so we're getting towards the end and we can just tie up some loose ends. We might want to say, why does Genesis speak of an ordered series with the relative terms second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, if all of creation was created simultaneously? 
And we started off as an interpretation saying that, well, it's historical because it sounds like a report, right? And but what it is that sounds like a report is the first, second, third, fourth, then, 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 then. But now he's telling us none of that really literally was a series. So what he says, he raises this problem and he says, well, there are no intervals of time here, but one can speak of prior and posterior in the relationship of creatures. So in other words, he's saying that the second, third, fourth, fifth is referring to a hierarchy in complexity in nature. So the scale of nature, right? Um, so mammals are higher than, I don't know, the sea animals, which are higher than the fruit trees. And that's the purpose of the second, third, fourth, fifth. But then we can ask a follow-up question, why are the angels first? Seems like then the angels should be at the top of the hierarchy. So shouldn't they be after humans? Shouldn't they be like on six, day 6A or something like that? Because humans are on day six. And what's very interesting is Augustine notes this. In the actual text of Genesis, it doesn't call day one the first day. It doesn't use a relative term comparing it to the other days. It just says morning and evening one day, like it's giving the definition of what a day is. A day is a combination of morning and evening, okay? So it's basically saying the angels are their own thing, and then it's comparing in a hierarchy the, um, all the other creatures that are materially based. More loose ends. Why does God separate the light from the darkness and call the light day and the darkness night. Um, he says in the city of God that this is a reference to the voluntary fall of some of the angels, Satan and the others. So the ones that fall away are the night, the darkness, and the angels as originally created are light, pure light, but some of them become darkness when they fall away from the mind of God. Another question, what has God created the heavens and the earth and the earth was a formless void and the darkness covered the face of the abyss, and the Spirit of God hovered over the waters mean. This is at the very outset, obviously. He says this is a statement that God created everything that exists, and it refers to prime matter of the physical and the incorporeal realms. So this may or may not be familiar, depending how much philosophy you've done. But um, he, just, he just takes it to be an analysis of substance into its component parts, form and matter. Okay, and it's saying that um, everything that exists, according to Augustine, has a changeable, formable aspect, and it has a form, which is a structuring aspect that makes it be the kind of thing that it is. So it's a statement at the outset of Genesis that everything that exists has this basic twofold um, structure, and that God made both components, essentially. So... That's the account, and just to go back to where we started, and looking at how he got there, right? he got to this account, which is basically very suitable for Big Bang Theory and evolutionary theory, by believing that the Bible contains no errors and nothing extraneous, by using his knowledge of the physical world, by using his knowledge of Neoplatonic metaphysics, which is the stuff about the word containing the divine ideas, and his knowledge of Stoic developmental theory, because his idea that things evolve out of basic seed structures is something he took from Stoicism. Because the Stoics, they're a late ancient school of philosophers, they thought that the universe um, kind of like unravels from this primordial um, seed-like format into um, the structures that we see now over time. They think that, they think that God is um, guiding the development of the universe from a more simple to a more complex state. 
So he took that idea from the Stoics and then fit it into his own metaphysical superstructure and used that to interpret the Bible. So that's it. That's the interpretation.